This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey there, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 266, recorded on Monday, April the 25th, 2016. You know, it just occurred to me that we need a new or a different opening jingle there for when we're covering Fear the Walking Dead. You think so? Well, maybe not. Maybe not necessarily, but it says a show about the TV, the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Well, yeah, it, it, well, it is The Walking Dead. It just happens to be Fear the Walking Dead. The Walking Dead's still in the title, so I think we're good. Oh, I think we're good. I call the podcast Hear the Talking Dead, though. Which I think is genius. But that's just me. I might be slightly biased. I didn't <laughs> yeah. know that until like the other day until I went to the uh, the website for some strange reason. And uh, there it was. Hear the talking dead. And I thought, hey, that's really a good idea. You went to good our work, we- Chris. Thanks, man. You went to our website for the first time in like four years. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> well, you it's know, just to make sure it was still there. <laughs> yeah, I guess you keep so. saying every week you say it's still there. But, you know, I just take your word for it. Yeah, I, that's true. OK, well, um, we got lots to do tonight uh first though uh, i'd like to wish you and your your wife a happy anniversary it's my anniversary as it turns out that's amazing uh it was (laughs) it was seven years ago today that uh you know i remember i walked your mom down the aisle yep and she told me to slow down she uh she would do that (laughs) and now that i say that out loud it kind of sounds like i married your mom but no i didn't i just took her escorted her down the aisle escorted her to her seat (laughs) And, uh, and that was a great time. And then the power went out. Remember that? And then the power went out. That was, uh, those were good times. Your, your wedding was great, man. It was a lot was of a, fun. It was a lot of fun. I got to stand up there beside you and, you know, tell everyone that you're a good upstanding man and everything like that. Well, that was good. It's nice when you get to lie for me like that. <laughs> you know. Yeah, my wife, uh, she got to work this morning and then called me and said, oh yeah, happy anniversary. I'm like, oh crap, you're right. Happy anniversary. So I, she forgot, I forgot. So uh, it turns out it's our anniversary. And I didn't know until you told me, to be fair. So, no. yeah. well, there you go. Happy anniversary, you guys. Thank you. That was, uh, that was a good time all those years ago. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about right now really quick is the podcast awards. Right. Do you remember last year, Jason, we, we were up for a podcast award. And I do. We did not win it, but, you know, it was just an honor to be nominated, as they say. It was a sad day, and I cried myself to sleep that night. We we live podcast the the announcement actually the winner's announcement. Yep. Um, it would have been a way better show if we'd won, but it was still fun to do, you know. Yes. So that's that's okay. But the podcast awards are back on again, and they're kind of the same, but a little bit different this year. Uh, they're same. They're the same because you do have to go and nominate us if you would like us to uh, be up for an award. So I'm going to ask everyone one more time uh, to go and nominate us if you don't mind. What you want to do is go to podcastawards.com and just nominate us in the TV and film category. We're not going to go for anything else this year, just that one category, TV and film. And you only have to do this one time. So you don't have to, it's not like when the voting starts and they ask people to go back every day and vote once per day for two weeks or something like that. This is strictly a one-time thing. So what you do is go to podcastawards.com, put in the talking dead in TV and film category. And then I think you're supposed to put in your name and email address too. hit submit. And hopefully we get nominated in that category again. Now, 
Today is April 25th. Nominations close on April 30th. Wow. Uh, yeah, so there's only five days, 11.59 p.m. on April 30th, only five days from when I'm actually speaking this. So if you hear this in the next few days and it's still April, do us a solid, if you don't mind, and go and nominate us in that TV and film category. If you miss it, you miss it. It's no big deal. It happens. I think nominations have been open for at least a week already, so I could have brought it up last week, but I forgot. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it happens. Yeah, exactly. So if there's time, we would really, really appreciate it. Podcastawards.com, nominate the Talking Dead in the TV and film category, and we'll see what happens, and hopefully we get nominated again. And then I can bother you for a few weeks to vote for us, but you know we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Burn that bridge when we come to it. Something like that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's the podcast awards. Let's look back at last week on Fear the Walking Dead really quickly here. So the ratings for last week's episode two were down a little bit from the first episode, but if we are going to use season one as any kind of model, that's bound to happen because those ratings started high and over the course of the season sort of went down a little bit and then kind of leveled off. But for season two, episode two, there were 5.58 million viewers. How much, how, how down is that from the, from the other, than the previous episode? Uh, season two, episode one was 6.67. Hmm. So it's, it's trending down, but we've, we've seen that before. So we should be okay. Yeah. Yeah. We should be totally fine. And, and again, 5.58 million, still a ton of people. It's about a million down. That still put it in uh, num the number one spot for last Sunday night. And that, oh, well, there you go. We're good. Yeah. And that beat out the NBA playoffs. And you got to think that wow. playoff basketball draws quite a few viewers. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the Raptors are in the playoffs. I think <laughs> I'm not really, I'm not really much of a basketball guy, but I'm pretty sure I know the Raptors were playing in a first round series. Uh, I don't know if it's over now or not, but anyhow, I would imagine basketball's the one where goaltending is bad, right? <laughs> yes. Okay, you're I not so. allowed to goaltend basketball, but you are allowed to goaltend hockey and soccer and soccer. Okay, good. And Just, lacrosse you know, and lacrosse, lacrosse goaltenders are funny. They're big. They wear those big dudes. suits and they, they look like, uh, 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 you remember the beginning of the fifth element when the aliens come down and go into the, uh, into the pyramid? Uh, yes and no. Big wide aliens. Oh. They look like, uh, lacrosse goalies. Did that have, um, Luke Perry in it? Sideshow Luke Perry. That's right. Right at the beginning there. Right at the beginning he was in there. Okay. All right. Uh, Yes. So anyways, basketball playoffs, it beat that out. That's pretty good. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll see how things go for this week. So as, we're, as we are known to do, we're going to go through a little bit of feedback here about last week's episode. It's, uh, it's all emails, and there's a few interesting points in here. Our first message comes from Rowena on the internet. Rowena says, Some people on the Fear the Walking Dead subreddit have theorized that Nick wasn't looking for drugs in this episode, but was looking to see what those power pills were all about. I think him going through the medicine cabinet and leaving behind what he found supports this idea. It could just be that listening to Nick talk about, or listening to the kid talk about power pills that his father gives their family to keep them together made Nick think something was up and he wanted to get to the bottom of it. So as opposed to Nick, like, you know, needing the drugs to feed his habit, he's going to look for some. Yeah, so that does make a lot of sense. 
that he sort of had the kids or the family's best interests in mind? Well, not necessarily your best interest, but, you know, his, uh, you know, he's a pill guy. So he wants to find out what pills are all about. And when somebody mentions a pill that he doesn't know what the deal is, he goes and tries to figure out the deal. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, his pill identification skills have come in pretty, pretty handy. Um, He should be a pharmacist. (laughs) That would be a good job for him. I think, well, and a bad job for him. All, All bundled together into one weird dichotomy. I suppose that's probably true, yeah good and bad all at the same time. Um, but, but what I think was interesting, one of the things that came out of last week's episode is that Nick, he seems to really care about other people. And these are basically strangers to him. Now they're kids, of course, and a lot of people are concerned for children and so on. But Nick is a compassionate guy. And he seems to be, they seem to be showing that a lot in in this show. And, you know, we we often talk about characters that are like the moral compass of shows and how sometimes, you know, we used to think it was Morgan and stuff like that on, on the main show, but maybe Nick is going to, in some ways, become the moral compass of this show, at least as it relates to helping people and being concerned for your fellow human beings. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I would think that, but I think his, his sister too also has a, a lot of compassion for other people. Like right. she was, uh, you know, she wasn't talking on the phone there uh, for her own good. It was, uh, you know, because of her compassion for that guy that she was talking on the on the radio. Are you sure? I mean, I think she might have just been talking on the radio because she had nothing else to do, and she just wanted to hear another another voice. I mean, you're confined on this boat. You've you've been hanging out with your parents and these people that you know are the only people you see anymore, you find another voice on the, on the radio and it's like, Oh good. Something new, something different. Well, yeah, maybe, I mean, it could go either way. Yeah. Um, but I think what they're doing with Nick is, is pretty interesting and whether he was looking for drugs or he was just sort of had the, the children's best interests in mind and he was trying to find it. He's, he, he does definitely seem to care about other people. So yeah, I think that's interesting for Nick. Um, Heather on the internet writes, I have a theory about why Willa took the pills. When her mother was telling Madison about her plans for the kids, Madison asked if the kids knew, and the mother said she told them they were going for a boat ride. Willa didn't want to go for a boat ride. She wanted to keep the family together. So she took the power pill and uh, that they were told would do just that. This, I'm glad you brought that. Madison, was it, that, uh, that emailed that in? That was Heather. Heather, Mad- sorry, Heather. Madison is the character in the show. <laughs> yes, yes, sorry. Uh, Heather, I'm glad you brought that up because this actually occurred to me in my sleep about uh, five days ago. I woke up going, oh, they told her that she was going on a boat ride mm-hmm. and she wanted to keep the family together. So she took the magic power pills that would keep the family together. Right. So that's why she took the pills. So I'm glad, uh, Heather, you brought that up. Now, it still doesn't really clear up for me how... Willa got the pills. She knew about them. Kids are wily. They find stuff. They know where stuff is. Oh, God. You know children very well, my friend. My kids know things about this house and about, you know, where we hide stuff uh, that I had no idea. <laughs> I had uh, I had my, uh, my brother-in-law and his two kids over this weekend, and uh, I forgot how close to the ground kids are. So uh, they will... 
they sit on the ground, they sit on the carpet, they were playing with Legos, they were doing all kinds of fun stuff, but uh, they just, as soon as they came in the house and started sitting on the ground, it's like, I wish I would have cleaned out of the furniture a little bit better. For adults, <laughs> it really doesn't matter, because, you know, what are the chances that an adult's going to lie on the ground and look under the carpet, under the couch for a cat? Very slim. But yeah. kids will definitely do that. Oh, yeah. So, so you should have vacuumed under your couch better. Well, I did vacuum under the couch. It was the it was uh, the master bedroom upstairs that I didn't do because you know who who's going to go in there. But as it turns out, two little girls will go in there looking for cats. They will for sure. Yeah. Now here's another question: Do you when they come over, do you make them bring their own Lego, or do you have a set of Lego that you allow the kids to play with? So uh, I didn't know that they were this into Lego, so they had brought their own Lego. But uh, we also had uh, some Lego that we we brought out that we let them play with. And then, uh, as it turns out, they were, had some, uh, they brought some Nexo Knights and I had a couple of extra packages of Nexo Knights that I hadn't put into inventory yet that I gave them as a parting gift. Oh, aren't you nice? I just happened to have them. You didn't try to sell it to them? No, <laughs> but you should have seen, uh, you should have seen her eyes light up when, uh, her dad told her that I had a Lego store in the basement. She's like, you have a Lego? No, it's like I sell them on the internet. It's not like an actual Lego store. Did you bring them down and say, and look at all my inventory in these neat little drawers? No, they were on their way out the door at the time. So they're, they're getting a little bit older. So uh, maybe next time they come visit, they'll be more interested in that kind of thing. Put them to work. Here, stock this stuff, kids. <laughs> Here, we need to put this into inventory. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good times. All right. Well, um, moving on. S. Kids get into stuff. That's uh, what the, the point we're trying to make here is that uh, kids will, if you're trying to hide something from kids and you tell them about it and say, I'm not telling you where it is. They will find it. They'll find it. That's what they do. You need locked cabinets. And even then, they'll find the key or the combination or whatever. All right. S on the internet writes, I've worked with addicts a lot, and you would be amazed and horrified at how quickly an addict can identify a pill. Truly, you can hand some addicts a bucket full of mixed up pills, and they can sort them quicker than you would believe. Also, having gone to do home cleanups, I can say you always take an addict with you. Nine times out of ten... They will find all the stash drugs quicker than you can say bippity boppity boo. Oh, wow. So when doing a home cleanup is uh, getting rid of the drugs in somebody's house. I guess so, yeah. For them, yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Like uh, people think that you hide things inside the uh, electrical outlets. You remember, okay, mm-hmm. this is going to be a spoiler, a spoiler alert for um, Breaking Bad. Oh, geez, man. Okay. <laughs> so spoiler alert for Breaking Bad. When Walt hid that thing in the uh, in the electrical outlet, yep, that was uh, that's like the first place somebody who's actually looking for hiding spots, uh, somebody who with any kind of professionalism whatsoever, will start unscrewing electrical outlets and light switch covers. Interesting, for sure. Do not hide your crap inside an electrical outlet or a light switch cover because that's the first place they're going to look. So what you're saying is I should hide all my stuff in the pot light receptacles instead. No, they'll find that too. <laughs> Even easier because you take them out without unscrewing anything. What you need to do is go into the backyard, uh, remove a section of sod, dig a hole, put a canister in there, put the sod back, and don't touch it for five years. And hope you remember exactly where it is. Uh, you put a little flag with that, uh, that <laughs> says, uh, I've hidden the crap here with an arrow pointing down. Free stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, very good. I don't know. I don't know. I got to find some new hiding spots in this place. Yeah. Um, okay, Val from New York City. Just had an idea for what Strand is up to. Whether it's drugs or other contraband, a cartel or smuggling network is ready to deal in whatever is profitable. 
Even if recreational drugs are no longer in demand, as they were prior to the zombie apocalypse, the drug dealing organization Strand is potentially involved with can just use their skills and knowledge to turn to the next profitable thing, whatever that may be. But what, what, uh, my question is, what are good are profits? Well, that's the thing, but it doesn't have necessarily have to be money. I mean, you could be trading something for supplies like food or clean water. Bullets. Or bullets, exactly. Okay. Um, Pete, who's an Aussie in Norway, along those lines, wrote, I reckon Strand is in some kind of arms trafficking or gun smuggling, which, again, may have been very profitable before the zombie apocalypse, but guns are still pretty useful after the zombie apocalypse. So whatever the currency is, you know, they they they, they could adapt to it. That's what Val is saying, that these, these sorts of groups can potentially adapt really quickly and, you know, and move into whatever is profitable in the current situation. I see. So we don't, we don't really know. Um, obviously in this episode, we did find out a little bit more about what Strand is up to, but who knows when we'll get into it later, who knows if, you know, what can be believed and so on. Okay. Richard in Austin, Texas wrote in, um, Regarding our comments on Chris and Seth's discussion of the zombies climbing the fence, right? Um, I think I said that it felt like they were sort of retconning The Walking Dead, which is a retroactive continuity, kind of changing the past. Mm-hmm. Richard said, it may be a correction because Kirkman slash Gimple didn't like the season one zombies. But the history is season one zombies of The Walking Dead were Darabont zombies, and he specifically made them different. They had abilities that traditional zombies do not, climbing fences, turning doorknobs, using a rock to break the glass when our heroes were trapped in the department store, or zombies attempting to climb the ladder after Rick and Glenn in Season 1, Episode 2. Maybe it was a dig at Darabont, Darabont or Walking Dead BG. That'd be before Gimple. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. Would Would they do something like that? Would they... Would they sort of make a dig at the original showrunner? Maybe, maybe not. They might. There's still that ongoing lawsuit. Yeah. It's pretty subtle if you just put in like two lines of dialogue about uh, about this kind of thing. But Oh, Darabont would know what it meant. Uh, probably, yeah. Probably kept them up at night going, those bastards, they really made a point of How dare they? joke against me. <laughs> How I dare they? So much. Yeah. Uh, so maybe, I don't know. Um, I still think it's sort of like whatever their intentions were, I still feel like they're kind of doing it just to sort of be like, okay, uh, this is how it is now. And that was just kind of a mistake all those years ago, six years ago. Right. So I don't know. Uh, all right. One more here, Jordan in Australia regarding Melissa's multiple sclerosis. He says, what really bothers me about this is that she decides that this is the right decision because she has MS. Really? At no point during the episode is she showing significant signs of the disease. From my own personal experience with the disease, she could go years, if not decades, before it affects her so much that she could not look after her children properly. And I started thinking about this a little bit and and I wonder if Melissa was just kind of using her MS as an excuse to get the kids away because she knew her husband's plans with the pills. What do you think? Um, maybe. It seems like uh, it, it, it's entirely possible. Like there's nothing in the episode that uh, made us lean towards that, but I guess it, it's a plausible explanation. 
yeah, I like. Is it cl- is it clear that di- that she did know about the the pill plan? Is is what I'm trying to think back on now. Um, the kids knew. If the kids knew, you would think she knows. Yeah. Oh, well, the kids knew about the pills. They didn't really understand the plan. But I guess if they knew that, it would be difficult to keep keep it from Melissa as well. So you know, even if the multiple sclerosis wasn't really um you know as jordan says it could have could have kept her going for for years if not decades i mean maybe if that wasn't such a big deal maybe she was just kind of saying i have this using it to to convince maddie to take them with them because she didn't want them to take the pills it seems it seems plausible to me for sure it is but my only concern is that there's nothing in the episode that leans us towards that it's just kind of pie in the sky uh theory right so so then why bring up the MS then? She actually thought that she, you know, in the near future wouldn't be able to take care of her kids because of the disease, which is kind of contrary to what Jordan is saying, uh, having the disease. So I, I guess everybody's different too, though. It is. They are. It is. And they are. They is. <laughs> that works too. All right. Uh, one thing I want to do, that's that's it for the email um, about last week. Thanks so much to everyone who wrote in. Keep those emails coming, talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com for all your feedback. And just before we get into season two, episode three, I want to do something I haven't done in a little while, and that's thank some new patrons from our cool. Patreon page. Um, it's been a little while, as I said, since I've done this, but um, a big thank you going out to Pamela G, Jeff D., Mark H, Todd W, Danielle, and June C for visiting talking uh, patreon.com slash talking dead podcast and uh, pledging a tiny little bit of their hard-earned cash our way. It is greatly appreciated. And June, if you're listening, check your Patreon messages. Um, I sent you a message, so uh, didn't hear back from you. If you get that, let me know. Thank you to all our patrons. Um, all right. We can now get into Season 2, Episode 3. This episode was called Ouroboros. Do you think I'm saying that right? Ouroboros? Ouroboros. <laughs> From what I understand, it means um, to eat one's own tail, essentially. So if you see those those images of like a snake eating its own tail. Oh, yeah. That's what an Ouroboros is. And I'm sure if I'm mispronouncing that, someone will correct me. Yeah. Um, but that's what it is. And here's the description from AMC. Madison confronts Strand about his mysterious destination. Nick, Alicia, and others inspect wreckage from a plane crash. Nice. <laughs> so, that's funny. That was a lost reference. What do you mean? Well, the others. Oh, others and, and others. plane crash on I don't, an island? Do you think that's intentional? No, but I think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Very good. So this is the episode where we get to see what happened to Flight 462. Now, Jason, yeah. did you have a chance to watch Flight 462? I did. I watched Flight 462 after I watched the episode. Oh, interesting. So I go, which uh, I'm actually really glad I did, because then I got the perspective of uh, just these these characters being in the show without me knowing any of the backstory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm glad that I got that perspective. As soon as I saw them, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're from the plane crash. Right, right, because I I knew what the uh, the webisodes were about, so uh, I knew who they were, but I didn't know how they got to into this situation. All I knew is the results of it. So I'm glad I did it this way. 
All right. Well, that's interesting. I watched Flight 462 in its entirety before I saw this episode. Uh, just really quick, what did you think of Flight 462? I liked it. Actually, of all the uh, the Walking Dead webisodes, I kind of like this one the most. Technically, they were aired during commercial breaks during the main show, so they weren't really webisodes, but I get it. Um, yeah, short little stories. Yeah. I mean, webisodes is just kind of a coin phrase to uh, indicate that they were on the web and short little uh, <laughs> snippets of stories stitched together. Sure. Um, I agree with you. I think it's the best webisode series we've had so far with The Walking Dead. They they took, or the main show hasn't done it in the last couple of years, um, but I think because these were designed, one, to introduce a new character, and two, that they actually broadcast on TV during commercial breaks, I right. think their budget was probably higher. They hired some, you know, um, experienced <laughs> actors. Actual actors. I, well, I didn't want to say real actors because obvi obviously the people in the other ones were real actors too. Um, but I, I think there was a slightly step up in caliber in the acting in this, even the writing and the storytelling. And going into Flight 462, I thought, oh, really? We're going to do zombies on a plane? You know, I mean, really? And then it actually turned out to be, <laughs> turned out to be okay, I it thought. It turned out to be okay. You know, it was a tight little exciting story that... Um, I don't know, led, led pretty well into this episode. So, um, but I want, so, so I enjoyed it. Yeah. So I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm glad they did it. Um, I think it's interesting that you watched it after seeing this though. Yeah. Kind of, kind of messes things up, but Hey, all right. So this episode, um, I want you to, I want you to read my mind, Jason. Okay. If you can, I know, I know you used to be able to do that. And because this episode, while I enjoyed, and I think there is a lot to like here, there's something about it that rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. And, and I'm all day, I've been walking around thinking about what this might be, and I can't exactly put my finger on it. I've come up with, with kind of a theory, but if, if you've got anything that you think might be, you know, messing with my brain a little bit on this episode, you let me know what it is. It was the makeup. The makeup? The makeup. The makeup was, uh, it seemed a little off to me. I'm not sure exactly. I'm, I'm not kidding. You're laughing really? at me, but it's, I'm, I'm not actually joking. It was something I noticed in that uh, it just the makeup seemed a little, I'm not sure if it was the, the way they filmed it or what happened, but just the, the actual makeup, not on, not on the, uh, you know, the, the zombie parts or the, uh, you know, the, the part with the big bite out of his, uh, out of his abdomen, but uh, just the actual, just the makeup on the regular folks. Like just the, the, the walking around, standing around makeup or when? Yeah, the walking around, standing around makeup. That's, you know, when, when we went to uh, regular television to high definition television, like there was a revolution in makeup mm -hmm. because you actually had to pay a lot of attention to the subtleties of makeup. You know, back in 1958 when somebody went on television and, uh, you know, they just, cake the stuff on like they took a spatula of skin colored makeup and you plowed that sucker on so that it looked like a mask of some sort but on television you couldn't really tell it might have been black and white at the time but that's fine when they went into early color television you still could slather that stuff on and it was no problem but then you know skip ahead 30 years and we get into or 40 years and we get into high definition television all of a sudden you can see every single wrinkle and every stray hair that's sticking out of your forehead and like <laughs> hair sticking out of your forehead is weird i don't care what you say definitely weird uh, so you know 
it's uh, they had to really start paying attention to makeup. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe just the uh, the production value on this was really really good, but I don't something struck me as off a little bit in the makeup department. Weird. Well, and, and is that the thing you're talking about? I don't know, maybe subconsciously, but I I didn't think the makeup was weird at all. Uh, I thought maybe you were talking about when Nick was just plastered with blood at the end. Um, because I thought that looked like it was unexpected. I'm like, well, what just happened there? But I didn't think it looked uh, didn't look bad from a makeup perspective. But then that's I consider that more of a uh, more of a special effect almost or something than than makeup. But it's definitely right. a makeup job. So yeah, it's definitely a makeup job. Well, what it, the only thing I could come up with for my feelings about this episode were that. I think maybe I was bothered a little bit by the things that we didn't see in this episode. And I made a quick list here and there's probably other things, but one, we didn't get to see the plane crashing. We just see the aftermath of the plane crash. Oh, well, you can't do that. Why? Because it's too expensive. It's too expensive. I mean, even uh, the plane crash and the uh, bringing this whole thing back to lost again, the, uh, the head of the studio that greenlit the pilot of lost, got shit canned afterwards because it was too bloody expensive. Right. To show up. Well, they showed the wreckage of a plane. They didn't show it really crashing. No, but they bought a, a, an old plane uh-huh. and ripped it apart and then built this big elaborate set on the, uh, mm. on a preserve in Hawaii, yeah. one of the Hawaiian islands. And it just, the thing, the whole thing was $14 million. And uh, afterwards it's like, I can't believe you greenlit that thing. You are fired. Okay. But the plane crashing, I think I can get, by because you don't really need to see the plane crash but but it did jump out at me that you know the the cold open of this episode was um alex and some survivors from the plane crash you know in the water and then floating in a raft and trying to deal with what just happened but so you see the aftermath of it which is fine i can live with that but then you also don't see those survivors getting to land they just show up on land later on after talking about it um Getting back to our main group of characters, you don't see Travis's, you don't see most of his first interaction with the zombie that's stuck in the boat intake. Yeah. He swims down there, encounters the zombie. They scuffle a little bit, cut to black, and when you, or cut to commercial. And when they come back from commercial, he's back inside the boat. So somehow he got away and, and got back in the boat. There was some, yeah, there was definitely some weird, and I think we had a time cut there. Like we jumped back, one, one of them was a flashback. No, no, no. He, when he, um, when he, when they were talking about being something stuck in the intake because the engine is water cooled, um, he said, I'll have to go out and take a look. And remember they argued about it and Maddie said, don't go out, wait till morning. But he decided to go out at the night in the night and shine a light. And so he goes down there, he sees the zombie stuck in the intake and it's the stripy shirt guy who was, who was the plane crash survivor. Yep. And then. And then we go to a commercial and when we come back, he's back inside the boat and he's working on the filtration system from the inside. So it wasn't a flashback. It was just, oh, I, I didn't thought show that was a, away. I thought that was a flashback. I thought he, he only went into the water once. Like he only, this is the way I read it. And it was a bit weird uh, that they kept jumping around. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head is that they didn't show us a lot of uh, what was happening. They jumped around a bit. The only thing I can think of is because when he went under the water, the first time we saw him go under the water, mm-hmm. he encountered the stripy shirt guy. Mm-hmm. And then we're back in the back in the boat and he was fiddling with the filtration system. And then he uh, pulled a hand out of it. And then he went back into the water and then he encountered the stripy shirt guy. 
Right. What I think, I don't think there was any flashback there unless I've completely misunderstood. I, I think, think the first one was a flashback and then he then did the other, the, from that point on, it was a lead up to him going into the water and encountering the stripy shirt guy. So the first, the first water scene then was kind of a flash forward. Flash forward. Yes. Flash forward. Okay, see, no, I didn't think that at all. I think I thought he went in the water twice because it was the nighttime, remember? And the boat craps uh, out, him and Maddie still are... dark under the boat, night or day. No, why would they talk about going in the boat in the night and then when you see him enter the water, it's daytime? It doesn't make any sense. I'm, I'm almost positive it's nighttime. Here's the timeline. So it's nighttime. Maddie and him are in bed. They're about to get it on. The boat craps out. They come out of the room, they're talking to Strand, and and uh, Travis is reading the manual. He realizes it's water-cooled, and he says, we got to go in and check the intake. So they are they, they even argue about waiting until morning to do it, and, and they say, no, 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 we, we got to do it right now. So he goes in the water, he finds the zombie, he's like, okay, there's a zombie here. I'm going to go back inside the boat, see what we can do from the inside. Then once they've, once he's repaired the inside of the boat, he goes back in. Now it's daytime for a second dip in the water to go and pull the zombie out. And that's when, um, that's when we get that scene of Madison on the side of the boat looking down and there's a struggle and all the blood comes up. And then it turns out that the zombie has been pulled out and ripped in half and Travis is okay. So why would he go under the boat and then just leave the zombie there? Because I don't think he was prepared. Well, I, I don't know exactly, but maybe he wasn't prepared to pull him out the first time. Like he just wanted to go and inspect it and see what was going on. Maybe there was no blockage or maybe there was something there that he, I mean, he just felt he couldn't deal with that zombie the first time. Okay. I mean, I can see your point. I can see what you're saying, but I just think the conversation about going in during the night wouldn't make sense if then he... He just waited till the till the daylight anyway. I don't know. I just I thought it was weird that he encountered the same zombie twice. Yeah, but I think that's because he went in, encountered him, got out, then went back in when he felt ready to pull him out. Yeah. For so that was that was one thing that was at the very least, it's confusing. Yeah, very least confusing. My original point though was, um. Let's when he goes in and encounters him for the first time, we don't see like he's scuffling with that zombie. The zombie's trying to grab at him. We go to commercial instead of seeing him kind of get away. Yep. And then the second time we see him in the water, whether it's the same trip or not, um, the perspective is done from Maddie up top, which doesn't bother me that much because at least there's another character there and we're getting a different perspective on it. But I couldn't help but think, oh, so now we see him and we're not going to see him remove the zombie so it's just another thing they sort of chose not to show us um and 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 this is in a list of of things that sort of were cut away from or whatever in this episode and then the other one i noted was when nick was on land and he fell down and you know there was the crab zombie there and then he dealt with that one but then the other zombie came coming down and we didn't see him deal with that situation and then get covered in blood before he shows up to save the day later on. So it felt like there was a big chunk missing there. Yeah. And I agree with you that there was a big chunk missing there. I didn't know what happened. And also I wasn't entirely sure I followed the events of what happened on the raft because they were all on a raft. And then the stripey shirt guy wasn't on the raft anymore. Mm -hmm. And then she was 
way inland running away from a pack of zombies. Yeah. But then somewhere there's still a raft with the, with the guy, the burnt guy on it. Well, so she was on the raft with, um, yeah, the burnt guy, damn it, whose name I didn't make a note of, but it was the kid from yes. Flight 462 who yep. was without his mom, right? Yep. I think Kyle, maybe? Sounds maybe. right. Um, she was on the raft with, with him and then two or three other people, and one of them was bit as he was getting in the raft, so they kicked him overboard right away. Yep. Um, another guy wanted to kill Kyle and tried to do it while they were asleep but Alex woke up and stabbed him. And yep. so I guess they dumped him overboard. Yep. And then there was stripy shirt guy. And I don't think we, we saw what happened to stripy shirt guy. All we know is he said, we have to go to land. We have to, um, is he, he's the one who said, we have to do what's best for Kyle here. If you want to help him. Yes. We have to get on land. Right. Yeah. So, and then somehow he ended up on the intake of the, uh, of the Abigail. Right. Somehow he ended up in the water, stuck in the intake. And she ended up way inland. Right. And I guess left Kyle in the raft somewhere, somewhere, somewhere safe. <laughs> right. So, so again, we didn't see all that. And, and I guess we don't really need to, I mean, it, uh, the well, theory it is been nice to have some kind of continuity. Like there was a lot of stuff going on here. Like that's three specific things that uh, are confusing as far as uh, situational awareness. Mm hmm. Right. And that's a lot for one episode. It is. It is for sure. I mean, they referred to what was going on by saying we have to get to land or we have to help him or something like that. And I guess we can assume that ultimately she decided that that was a good idea. Who knows what happened to stripey shirt guy and how he ended up in the water stuck on the boat. Um, but I guess she decided that, well, yeah, we'll go to land. But then why was she so far inland and and what was she actually doing and looking for there? I mean, I guess just for supplies or help or something like that. But you're right. We don't really know what was going on. And and knowing where everyone is and what they're doing is usually pretty important. So yeah. it's, it's kind of strange that we, we didn't get all that in this episode. So, I mean, the more I talk about it, the more we talk about it, I feel like this is probably the thing that, that despite enjoying this episode and having a lot to like in it, it's this is sort of what has kind of prevented me from really thinking it was a fantastic episode. Some of these, these weird unknowns throughout the, throughout the thing. Yeah. So yeah, I was confused by these things and I had made a note to, to talk about that. Cause I didn't know uh, whether I'd missed something like how did the stripey shirt guy get off the boat? Like I must've missed yeah. it. Right. Cause <laughs> they didn't explain that. All we know is he was on the boat and all of a sudden he's stuck in the intake manifold. Is that a word of the, uh, uh, of the boat? Yeah. For the, the cooling system. No, I don't think you missed it unless you blinked and that, and that was it. So I don't know. Um, now, speaking of the boat and, and Travis and stuff like that, um, something else that I thought was a little odd, and this may actually be intentional, but let me, let me know what you think. I found it strange that Travis is the guy who knows how to fix a boat and not Strand. I mean, this is Strand's boat. Don't you think he would have a little bit better of an understanding of how it works and how its various systems work rather than be like, like throw his hands up in the air and be like, I don't know, you fix it. Well, uh, I'm not sure. Okay. So they kind of explain that and I'm okay with uh, strand not knowing because he's a rich guy who owns a boat. 
He's right. not a boat guy who happens to be rich, right? If he was a boat guy that happened to be rich, he'd have a really nice boat and he'd have a true captain's hat that he'd be wearing all the time. And he would be talking about the engine room and and all that kind of stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. He just happens to be, I'm a rich guy. I need a boat. I'm going to pick that boat and, you know, make sure that boat is in tip top shape every time I take it out. And if something goes wrong on the boat, you go, oh, something's wrong with the boat. You get my boat fixed. Right, and and that theory is supported when, um, uh, when you know he's a dick to Travis when Travis he's, is yeah. trying to work on the boat, and Travis says, "I'm not the help." <laughs> yeah, that's <Right>? obvious. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, maybe that's so that, it. I'm fine with Strand not knowing anything about the boat. Uh, Travis, on the other hand, they kind of explained it. Says he knows how to rebuild a carburetor, so he's a mechanic dude. Like he he has he's a hobbyist mechanic, mm-hmm. and he's also an egghead a little bit of an egghead. So he has a manual to help him figure that kind of stuff out. Right. So right. he's, he's a handyman, uh hobbyist mechanic, egghead school who likes manuals, school teacher who <laughs> likes manuals. Right. So it all kind of comes together for me. That's fine. I mean, I guess, I guess someone who is, who's got those kind of skills are, and they're sort of transferable from, you know, uh, carburetors to boats, you know, that's okay. But I, what I was thinking is, yes, I mean, if Strand, if Strand doesn't really know much about this boat, maybe it's not his boat, or maybe he, you know, he he isn't. Well, he isn't telling them everything, which which is obvious. But I just thought it was odd that a guy with a boat like this wouldn't know seemingly the first thing about it, other than how to like turn it on and point it in the right direction. That's how I work with my car. I mean, I'm not a car no. guy. I've never been a car guy. Uh, I own a car. Me and my wife together own this car. I drive the car all the time. Car makes make starts making a uh, a banging noise, and all of a sudden is really hard to turn. And then I start smelling burning rubber. I bring it in <laughs> to the uh, to the mechanic and go, "Car broke. Please fix." Yeah, I have point. no idea what happened. Apparently, we uh, a spring broke, and it was rubbing up against the tire and completely blew the entire uh, uh, power steering system. Which mm-hmm. cost you know twelve hundred dollars to get fixed, but uh, I had no idea what was wrong with it. All I know was car broke. Take to guy, please fix. Yeah, good point. I mean, I don't know anything about my car either. Uh, although I changed my first tire a few months ago. Yeah, that's always handy. Forty one too is great. Forty one friggin' years old, never changed a tire before. Fun. <laughs> but I did it. Um, okay, you're did right. You lose all the lug nuts and have to say, "Oh, fudge!" No, only I... you didn't say fudge. No, I did not. They were all right there. I did do it in the middle of friggin' winter, though. It was damn cold outside. Awesome. Um, anyways, yeah, you've, you've kind of convinced me. I mean, maybe it's not that weird that Strand has no idea how to do anything on his boat other than, than drive it or pilot it or whatever you do to a boat. Well, if he... Okay, I can tell you that if all of a sudden I uh, walked onto a boat of that size... Mm-hmm. And I sat down in the captain's chair with all of those consoles. I'm not sure I could start the engines. Oh, I agree with you. I mean, a, a boat that, that that is that big requires even an additional level of expertise to to operate. Like I've driven boats. I have a boating license. Yes. <laughs> but uh, that doesn't mean I know jack crap about boats. So, so he must know something about yeah. boats or at least that boat because he, at the very least he can pilot it. Yeah. So he knows enough to pilot the boat, but then all his knowledge stops there, 
right? He right. doesn't know about the actual operations of the boat, but he knows how to pilot it. That's the only thing that uh, leads me to believe that it's slightly in question is that that, that line seems to be a hard line for him. Mm-hmm. And usually when you are interested enough to learn how to pilot such a craft that you at least have the basic understanding of how the craft operates. Yeah. And it's different subsystems. <laughs> well, I guess. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, Strand. So what did we learn new about Strand in this episode? Primarily where he's going. Uh, at, at least where he's going, but we didn't really learn why. Um, no, un- we- unless we can believe him at face value. No, no, he's full of shit because he didn't talk. He didn't mention anybody else that is going there, right? And if this, this dinner for schmucks thing is happening, he'd he'd bring that up, wouldn't he? Well, he might not, but uh, he if he had a plausible explanation as to why he was talking to other people, he would have brought that up. Okay, well, here's here's the two here. Well, here's what we found out about Strand that he's going to Mexico. He says that in the hills that are southeast of Rosarito, um, Mexico, which is in the Baja Peninsula. He says there's a house, it has food, gardens, water filtration, and big concrete walls. And that's where they're going because it's going to be safe there. Now, the two things that I find are interesting is that for some reason, and he even says this to Maddie, that he's running out of time to get there. So there is some kind of deadline that he has to meet to arrive there, which is strange. If it's his home, you'd think he could just get there anytime. And then the other thing is there are already people there that he's been communicating with on the phone or on the radio. In the last episode, he spoke to them. In this episode, he can't get in touch with them. So um, that's about it. We we still don't know what he's up to, but at least we now have an idea of where he's going, if we can believe him at all. Yeah, and I have a question about that. Okay. Why is Madison and Travis, by extension, why are they pissed off about this? Like, why are they mad that they're, that he's going to, he wants to go to the Baja, Baja Peninsula to a safe house? Well, he's mad. They're mad that, that he wasn't upfront about it. Like they, then, they're, they're pissed that he just didn't say anything that they didn't. But then Travis gets mad because Madison made a decision that that's okay. Right. But what I liked about that is, um, you know, they, they introduced this little bit of conflict between Madison and Travis. And one of the things that Kirkman and, I think uh, Dave Erickson, the showrunner, said before this show even started um, was that this is going to be a show about a couple, like a really solid couple. You know, we're not going to have a bunch of like <laughs> um, couple stuff, couple dynamics, things like that, a bad relationship or anything like that. This is a couple that that have a really solid relationship. And I thought of that in this episode when Maddie and... Um, and Travis had their little conversation, their their little mini fight about, you know, her making that decision about that that they should trust Strand and that this is where we're going. And he wasn't so sure. Um, I thought about what they said. And I'm like, oh, look, they're going sort of back on their promise already. They're they're introducing relationship issues between these two, a lack of trust between these two characters. But in the end, they resolved it because when they're all talking on the back end of the boat there towards the end of the episode. Uh, Travis backs her up and says, this is a decision that was made and this is what we're going to do. And this makes sense. And, and, uh, and I really like that. I like the fact that they kind of resolved that little argument between the two of them. But I didn't understand why there was an argument. Well, I, I think it's, I think the fact that there was an argument is because, um, 
it's it 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 comes out from Strand, right? They they don't trust this guy. He hasn't been necessarily honest with them, or at least he hasn't been giving them all the information. Yeah. So when Maddie comes and was like, "I spoke to Strand. We're going to Mexico." I think really Travis was reacting to the fact that you don't know what he's telling you is true. Like, why would you believe him at face value like that? So I don't, that's not what he said. He said, you made a decision. I guess you made this decision for us. Mm-hmm. Based on information that you don't know is true. So I, I get what you're saying. He's, he's sort of questioning her not coming to him first, but I think that's only because he doesn't trust Strand either. Okay. Well, it just, it seemed really kind of weird to me because uh, they go to him and say, yeah. uh, we found, we found your charts. We know that you're, that you want to go to Mexico. What's the deal? And he says, I want to go to Mexico because uh, just outside of this little town, there's a hill and on this hill, there's a house, which I thought was a really playful, stupid way of putting it. <laughs> and this, and in this house is a door and through the door is a room. And in this room are candles. And it just seemed like a weird kind of storytelling mechanism. Anyway, he says, uh, I've got this house. There's lots of supplies. There's concrete reinforced walls. Mm-hmm. Everything is good. It's a safe house. My first thought was, hey, that's, that's great. We yeah. got a we got a place to go and we got means to get there. And there's all kinds of uh, goodness and happy, uh, happy dancing. And everybody's going to have fiddles and we're going to have a great old uh, hoedown when we get there. That sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yet everybody's upset about this. Well, okay, but th- this is what I'm saying. It's the same thing at the end of the episode when – when Madison tells everyone we're going to Mexico, you're right. Um, Alicia doesn't react very well, but she reacts poorly based on the fact that how come this is just coming up now? Like why didn't Strand bring this up three days ago when we got on this stupid boat? If he already knew, why is he being so secretive? So nobody trusts Strand and that's causing the tension amongst the rest of the people in the group. Even okay, though well, they, even they though should they argue sh- about that then. Well, they should. That's true. But even though they should be happy about where they're going and be like, all right, hooray, we got somewhere to go. It'll be safe. They don't really know. They think, well, maybe he's lying and he's taking us to a, you know, a house of cannibals and they're going to eat us. You know, who knows? Right. <laughs> the, the human sausage factory. That's right. That's where they're going now. Yeah, I just it just struck me as uh, sure that's the situation, and that's completely understandable that people would be upset about that situation. But that's not what they were arguing about, and it consistently went through the entire episode of them not arguing about that. They were arguing about going to Mexico, and everybody's like, "Well, you're deciding that we're going to Mexico. Well, how come you get to decide without bringing this up to everybody?" Mm-hmm. And then that continued on to every single character who found out. There's no clear leader of this group now that I think about it. Right? They're all sort of a a bunch. I mean, Strand owns the boat. Travis and Maddie are the parents. Everyone else are kids. And then there's Daniel doing his own thing. I mean, they don't have one focused sort of leader with an agenda like Rick or, uh, you know, somebody else on, on the walking dead, the main show, <laughs> the, go- the governor, you mean, or the governor or, or the whatever. governor. Yeah. Which is interesting. So that's why they're sort of arguing about making decisions like this. And they're not really talking about it. But what I did like, and this, you know, you know, that old TV problem we've talked about a million times where characters don't talk to each other and characters have information that would be very important to know amongst the group, yet they don't bring it up because it serves the plot better to have secrets. That's not happening on this episode. As soon as Maddie found out about Mexico, she went and spoke to Travis and told him as soon as everyone got back from the land, the scavenging trip to the land, 
She said, we're going to Mexico. Now, sure, they argued about it, but they're not withholding that information. And I like that. That's true. You know, that's good. That's a that's a TV writing problem. And uh, and I'm glad to see that this show is, at least for now, overcome that problem. So I could maybe put a little bit of character bickering aside because at least they're talking. At least they're coming to a conclusion. I, I do like that about so, this show. Yeah, and I realized that in this episode because, you know, she's like, hey, everybody, we're going to Mexico. I just found out. I'm not going to wait four days to tell you when we're almost there and say, oh, by the way, we're in Mexico. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, that's it. But anyways, um, who knows what Strand has really got going on. Um, but they've really gone out of their way to make him unlikable, don't you think? In this episode in particular, they have. Well, they've been building up to it in in the first three episodes, but you're right. In this one, big time, like even little things, like when he scolded Alicia about running on the deck. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're not running on my deck. Yeah. Seriously? <laughs> you, well, I'm glad she said that because it's, it's, it's a ridiculous thing to say at yeah. this point. Like she's not eight years old and going to slip and slide off the boat. I mean... She's almost uh, an adult and seriously, you're in the frigging zombie apocalypse and you're worried about someone running on the deck of the boat. Like relax, dude. The only thing that makes me think that this is not Strand's boat is that uh, near the end when they were towing the life raft Mm -hmm. and he walked down to the end of the uh, end of the the back of the boat there, the uh, the stern Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he cut the uh, cut the line by hammering down onto the deck with the knife. Right. If that was his boat, I don't think he would have treated this deck like that. If mm. it was my boat, I wouldn't have whacked my deck with the uh, with the knife like that. I would have cut upwards and just sliced cleanly through that without damaging my boat. Damaging your deck. Right. Yeah. But since he doesn't value this boat the way I would if I owned it, it makes me think that maybe it's not his boat. You got to be careful with your deck. You don't want to swing anything around your deck too much and hurt your deck. No, because you cut, okay, first of all, you cut into that, cut into the teak. I assume it's teak, uh-huh. uh, and which is naturally, you know, corrosion resistant, but it, it's also stained, right? You have, uh, you have a protective coating on there. It's stained mm-hmm. and then uh, finished. There's a protective coating on there. You cut into it. You're cutting through that protective coating. You're exposing raw wood to the elements. That's just going to introduce rot into your, into your deck. It's a terrible idea. You don't want to do that. You do not want deck rot, no. So somebody who owns a boat that takes any kind of, uh, puts any kind of value on that boat would Mm -hmm. not do such a thing. No, you're absolutely right. But what about the fact that he did it at all? Like, like. Oh, it makes perfect sense. But I was was surprised that Strand let that go and say, yeah, we're going to tow them. It's like, come on, they're going to waste a whole bunch of fuel towing these uh, these schmoes down to San Diego when uh, there's nothing down there anyway, since it's been firebombed. I'm surprised you let it go. Well, this is the central theme of of the show so far for me. Should we help people? Should we do anything to help people that aren't are, you know, aren't us, aren't part of our immediate family or immediate group. And Strand, you know, he was kind of outvoted at the time they decided to tow them, but clearly he was not on board with it because he just walked down there later and cut them off. But I hated him so much at that moment. Like, it was just such an asshole thing to do. Like, Uh, yeah, number one, let them on the goddamn boat. But 
Number two, it's a compromise. They're towing them. Maybe not a great idea because, as you said, it creates more drag and they use more fuel and stuff like that. But good Lord, like if you're not going to let them on the boat, at least give them a shot. Take them somewhere and, and let them go. Don't just strand them at sea. That's terrible. I hated him. I'm really well, yeah, not liking Strand. It was a horrible thing to do, but completely and totally within his character. Yeah, I guess the more we learn about this guy, it's well, the more we learn, the more the bigger a prick he is. It's my boat. Yeah. It's rule number one for all subsequent rules. And rule number two and rule number three, yeah. So, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really happy with Strand. Whether he's acting in a logical way or not, I hate the guy. <laughs> at this point i just want him to i just want him to do something good for 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 once um but the walking dead has always been good at that eh? they they make you hate a character one episode and then totally sympathize the next one so who knows what's going to happen next week i don't know yeah we could love him he could be the best thing ever he would uh he's going to do something that completely justifies his uh ha- ass holiness well yeah maybe i don't know we'll find out uh all right we haven't really talked about what they were doing on land there very much. And really the main thing I want to get into there before we move on is Chris, because man, oh man, what a dumbass! <laughs> you know, he just kind of wanders off while they're, they're looking for supplies. And, you know, I wasn't really sure, or maybe I wasn't able to make up my mind on whether they're trying to make him, I mean, the show and the writers are trying to make Chris look just stupid and careless, or they're trying to make him look a little bit tough and uh, able to protect himself at this point. Because it was kind of both, I think. He wanders off, which is stupid and careless. He walks into the fuselage of the plane, just, you know, not knowing what's in there. But then he ends up being able to handle himself to a degree in there. So I don't know. That was a rough, uh, I assume that he walked into the fuselage or he walked away from the group for the same reason he jumped in the water. He Mm -hmm. just needed to get away. Mm -hmm. So that I just thought was an extension of, uh, of that kind of behavior, which I thought was fine. And then when he got to the fuselage, you know, going in there could, could result in some good stuff that you find. Like if you're scavenging, you could find some pretty decent stuff inside Mm -hmm. there. Maybe some liquor. That'd be good. <laughs> Maybe a couple of cans of soda. That might be nice too. Sure. Uh, it could be. You know, not that the boat's not well stocked, right? But whatever. He's a kid. I gotta have. I gotta get some liquor that isn't uh, governed by my parents. Sure. For example, they just you know free liquor. You know, Heidi liquor in little tiny bottles that I can hide in my pocket. Nobody'll ever find. So he goes into the fuselage. At the very, at the most, he can he can expect to find some good booty. On, at the very least, he's going to find some real gross shit. Like walking yes. into a fuselage of a downed plane, you're going to find body parts. Oh, there's yeah. There's going to be not only just, you know, body parts, but there's going to be zombie body parts as well. There's going to be some grossness in there. And there's not an ice cube's chance in hell that I would have walked into that fuselage armed with a weapon or not. Right. With a steel pipe. Basically. Oh, yeah. And the crappy uh, walking around shoes he had. I would have had steel-toed shoes. I would have had a mask. I would have had big, thick leather gloves because (laughs) chances are there's going to be some bits that are sticking out that are going to be very grabby and rippy of your skin. Mm -hmm. And that would be uh, nasty. So the fact that he went in there shows a clear lack of judgment on his part. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I just think they're still playing with this idea that Chris is recovering from his, his mother's death and he's not always quite thinking straight and he's young, you know, he's a kid who, who doesn't know how to handle himself. Um, but even after Daniel says, you know, everybody stay close, stay where I can see you. He immediately, the first thing he does is just walks away. And I guess he's, you know, flipping it to authority to a, to a degree here. Um, that being said, once he got into that fuselage, he was able to handle it. Like he was taunting that one zombie, which I thought was kind of stupid, like poking him in the mask and stuff. Um, but then when he realized that one guy was still alive in there and he tried to help him and sort of what happened after all that actually was one of the most brutal scenes I think I've ever seen on both shows. It was, it was nasty. I actually watched this episode with my wife. Yeah. Uh, when we got home from work and she, we sat down and she said, <laughs> okay, so she watched an episode or two from the last season. So she said, okay, so what's going on? I said, bunch of people trying to get away from the zombie apocalypse on a boat. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's the whole story, right? Everything else is completely irrelevant. Everything's been status quo since that that's happened. Yep. Right. Last episode completely wrapped up and uh nothing changed. And the episode before that, again, everything wrapped up and nothing changed. Mm-hmm. So just a bunch of people on a boat. Uh and she said, Is this gonna be gross? And I said, No, it's not as gross as the uh as the as the Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. I was way wrong because yeah. <laughs> that freaking scene in the plane was it was oh just right so nasty yeah this isn't going to be gross and then we get one of the most brutal scenes in six seasons of the main show and two seasons of this show and for me it was brutal not because well not just be, not just because he pulls him out of the seat and we realize that his spine has been broken and is sticking out of his back i mean that like is compound spinal fracture like just so nasty just so nasty this guy's completely spine cracked paralyzed like he there is no saving this poor dude and then when chris realizes this and realizes that he has to to put him out of his misery um you know we see him hit the dude with his iron piece of metal um right in the head and the camera doesn't cut away i don't know if you noticed i watched this twice you see him club that dude in the head and this is a living person it's not a zombie yeah. You just see him cut him, club him in the head. Camera doesn't cut away like it did in the previous episode. And that was with zombies. Yeah. So, um, so I was shocked by that. I was like, holy Jesus, look, look at what they just did. They just showed him club that, that living guy in the head. And I, I winced a little bit cause I was like, man, that's gross. And then two hits and they decide to show us that he's still alive. His eyes are open. Moving his eyes around open, like lying there. Oh, it was it was heartbreaking and just brutal. And then Chris, of course, has to continue clubbing him until he's dead. And a couple. Oh, what are you going to do? You're committed at that point, right? Oh, I'm I'm not saying there's any other choice. I'm just saying, from the audience perspective, it's like, oh my god, what did they just make that poor guy do? And what did they just show us? Like. I was I was horrified by the whole thing, and I've seen some crazy shit on The Walking Dead. Yeah. Nothing was as as nuts as this scene for me. I, I agree. That was uh, it was brutal. It was unflinching, mm-hmm. and uh, it, I wouldn't say necessarily 
you know, gross in the typical way we've seen gross, like the teabag zombie and the zombies uh, that they went after after they found Father Gabriel, the one in the water in the in the basement. Uh huh. Those soaking zombies and uh, some of the other nasty things we've seen before. This was downright brutal. Yes. Because it, it was the death of a living person who needed to be put out of their misery for horrific injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this guy's skull was not the typical Walking Dead nerf skull. No, it was not. All. This was a hard, fully bone skull. This might have been the last person on the earth that was actually not previously infected by the virus, in my humble opinion. Yeah. That was it. This guy is the last one. It's, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, this wasn't, as you said, it wasn't particularly gross or gory. I mean, I guess the the spinal injury was a bit gory, but it was the emotional impact of it that really, really hit me. (laughs) No pun intended. That really got me. So, yeah, I think it was a super intense scene. And, um, I mean, Chris as a character better come out of that affected because nobody nobody could go through something like that and not be screwed up on the other side in some way it was it was brutal it was nasty um okay and then the last thing about this episode uh nick saving the day so everybody gets surrounded by zombies daniel they're all there uh they're fighting off the zombies it looks like they're basically overtaken like part of me thought really nobody's gonna nobody's gonna die in this scene because they were on the edge of a cliff and the zombies are right on top of them there's far too many all they have are pieces of metal or pipe or whatever to club them and that was it suddenly nick shows up out of nowhere um, you know, or at least out of that little valley he fell into, got covered in blood, and is a man possessed. He doesn't look right in the eye, and he just starts swinging, swinging like a madman and saves the day. Yep. Um, so a couple things about this. How did he get covered in blood? We don't know. <laughs> Doesn't that, matter. That bothers me a little bit. <laughs> um, and then he discovers the gormiflage. He does. Like, totally by accident. And I think that's fine. That's okay. And as I said last week, sometimes I have to remind myself that these characters don't know everything already, like our main show characters do. So they're going to discover stuff like this. But why in that moment would he decide to turn around and stand face-to-face with a zombie? I mean, you have to be thinking, even if you realize that, wait a minute, they're not attacking me. They seem to think I'm one of them. You still got to think that's great and all, but I got to get away. Like you're going to turn around and stare one down. I don't, I don't think so. I didn't fault him for that. Really? Uh, I thought that uh, his discovery of the gormiflage was neat. I thought it was uh, one of the highlights of the episode was hmm. that they, uh, that he was able to discover that uh, by accident. I would have liked to have seen how he got covered in gore. Uh, and I thought maybe I missed that as well. I was like, did I look away? Was I talking to my wife for a second? Uh, was I trying to comfort her after that brutal spine scene? <laughs> yeah. Was I cringing from that? Was I crawled? Was I hiding behind the cushions too much? Uh, I couldn't figure out what exactly happened there. But anyway, he's covered in gore. I accepted it. He discovered the gormiflage. Cool. I turned to my wife and told her what gormiflage was. 
and that they had uh, just discovered it in uh, in this episode. And then when he turned to the look at the zombie, I think it was uh, the, the gormaflage kind of realization that he came to and the defiance of this uh, awful situation mm-hmm. that he just wanted to um, confront. Yeah. So I think he was it was just his emotional uh, confrontation of the entire uh situation that they're in not just a confronting this one zombie for some strange reason yeah and and i said he did when he showed up he did look like a, a man possessed i mean i got the feeling he almost didn't like he was in shock or something like he didn't even really realize what he was doing or going through at the moment so as that realization came to him or maybe maybe he stared the zombie down and then suddenly realized wait a minute this is a terrible idea i need to get out of here god i've been Um, in that situation (laughs) not knowing just (laughs) zoned out not knowing what you're doing (laughs) it just uh getting being in the middle of a situation and going oh man this is a really bad idea i should just kind of turn around and carefully walk away i gotta bail (laughs) so yeah um anyways uh it was weird it was weird that he showed up with all that blood on him but i did think it was kind of cool how he saved the day and then when they get back to the boat though alicia's like nick nick are you okay and she's hugging him and it felt like that hug went on forever well they got a weird relationship right i gotta think yeah but i was thinking to myself okay guys escape now hug later there's a whole herd of zombies coming down that sand dune you're gonna want to get in this boat and hug it out when you get back to the abigail Maybe she likes the gore. Maybe she thought the gore was uh, fetching. <laughs> he digs it. Well, we've got some <laughs> listener feedback in a minute, and I think there's uh, there's an email about that. So um, overall, I found this episode a bit weird, and but I still liked it. And on one hand, it had the most emotionally crazy scene I've I've ever seen on this show or both shows. But on the other hand, we had weird stuff like... Uh, um, you know, strange time shifting or something like that near the beginning with Travis going in the water and a lot of things that felt like it was held back from us a little bit that maybe ended up on the cutting room floor or they just never intended to include it all. So I like this episode, but it sort of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, and I don't think you've really said if you enjoyed it or not. So why don't we finish up with that? There was, uh, I, I agree with you in that there was things that I really liked about this episode that we've covered. And there was things that were confusing about this episode. And I think that this uh, brought, uh, has been bringing uh, something we've been talking about uh, over the last three episodes to a head. Mm-hmm. And that's that situational awareness. Uh, like there's, there's, we're missing some. Like this episode in particular, there was a number of situations where we were missing pieces that we had to put together ourselves mm-hmm. uh, in order to get some kind of continuous story, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, can be fine, but uh, it just, it seemed uh, a little awkward this time. We've seen that before in previous episodes where just it would happen here, happen there, like the, with the overturned boat and like how close was he to the boat? Uh, how close was Nick to the boat? Well, he was far away. All of a sudden he was close to the boat. Now he's underneath the boat. Now he's going after something random for some reason Mm -hmm. Uh, and trying to like, what's his motivation there? So there's been some, uh, it's not continuity. It's just situational awareness. It's, it's, uh, it's been uh, lacking, I think. And I think that it's starting to bother me and hopefully uh, this is the last instance of it and that somebody uh, you know, when they're putting together this thing in editing, obviously, obviously uh, had to throw some stuff out 
because of whatever reasons. Like, ah, crap, they used the wrong camera altogether. They were supposed to use the black camera and they used the blue camera and it's got the wrong <laughs> lens on it. And, and we just we just simply can't use it. I, wa- I wonder if it feels like there was almost too much story for this episode. You know, they had the stuff going on with the engine. They had the stuff going on land. When You know, saying that out loud, it doesn't really feel like there should be too much story there. But um, I wonder if this whole episode took place on the land. Instead of trying to deal with a plane crash, deal with Chris's stuff, deal with the scavenging mission, deal with the the engine trouble, like that's that does seem like a lot of stuff. So they they kind of crammed a lot in, but had to leave things out for that reason. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we need a good bottle episode to even things out. Yeah, I mean, was that not last week though? I mean, about that family, it was a little bit of a bottle episode. And in a way, we've had three bottle episodes in a row, sort of. I mean, there's definitely a a connecting storyline through them all. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't classify any of them as a true bottle episode. But last week, I think came closest. But it yeah, does, I would I, I would say that. But uh, I just I think this consistency thing uh, really they need to get a handle on it. Yeah, just decide what they're doing and and stick to it. Yeah. So, I mean, overall, I don't know if I could give this a thumbs up or a thumbs down. I mean, there was parts of this episode that I really liked. Mm-hmm. And there was parts that flat out confused me. Like, what the hell is going on here? So, and I watched the whole episode and I felt like I was missing stuff. So thumbs sideways. Thumbs. I just, you know, I'm, I'm going to give it thumbs. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to commit and I'm going to say this episode is, is a, is a slight thumbs up. It's like a thumb, you know, you know, 12 degrees. Something You're like, like that. 12 and a half degrees, not quite, you know, halfway <laughs> uh, between 45 and zero kind of thing. That's 22 and a half or whatever it is. Yeah, but that would be down. So it's it's past 50 percent. It's it's up a little bit. Oh, but zero is sideways, right? Negative would be down. Oh, okay, positive. sorry. So if you're positive 22 and a half degrees up, that's almost a 40, you know, halfway between zero and 45 <laughs> degrees up. Anyway, maybe I'm uh, <laughs> digging into this a little too far. But no, either way, it's, it's thumbs, <laughs> thumbs slightly up for this one. I feel like I'm overthinking it. <laughs> you, you, yeah. Well, that's never happened before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, let us know what you thought of this episode. Email us, talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have some listener feedback. Stay with us. Everybody's sleeping here in Jonestown. Our fearless leader made it rain. They're coming, you best not run. Make our toast and we'll die. We've already mentioned it on this episode, everyone, but if you would like to support the Talking Dead podcast, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Talking Dead. You can make a small monthly pledge there, and all the money goes into the podcast to help us defray the cost of doing this show. Um, we'll even say your name out on the on the air once in a while if, uh, if you want us to, as we did earlier on. So there's a few different 
levels of support you can choose. Find out all about it at patreon.com slash thetalkingdead. You can also use our Amazon links, which is a really great and easy way to help out. Visit talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon and click on the country store of your choice. And every purchase you make is at Amazon, a tiny little cut comes back to us without costing you an extra penny. So that's a really easy and great way to help out the show. Listener feedback. All right, our first email here comes from Shane, who is from Ireland, but living right here in Toronto. Super. That's where we're from. Now, Shane um, wrote in, and he's talking about Alex, who uh, who's, you know, the plane crash survivor. And except in his email, he used the name Charlie the whole time. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? That's weird. So I went to IMDb. And I looked up this episode and sure enough on IMDb, they have Michelle Ang who played that character listed as Charlie. Nice. <laughs> but in the episode, her name was Alex. And oh. even in fear or uh, flight 462, her name was Alex. So I'm just going to go ahead, Shane, and use the name Alex in your email instead of Charlie. I just assume that that's a lost reference. Well, maybe. And I don't know. It's, it's, it is weird. <laughs> Anyways, Shane writes, just wanted to email in to mention how furious I was when Strand cut the tow line and left Alex and Jake, to a lesser extent, adrift. Even though she was only in one episode of Fear the Walking Dead and the webisodes, I was super excited about the possibility of adding Alex to the main cast. She could have been the new badass warrior woman character like Michonne, Carol, Andrea, and Maggie in The Walking Dead. I thought the actress who played her did an amazing job, and I genuinely cared for her character's survival. I finally had a character that I was really rooting for, as I'm having trouble warming up to the other characters, and I don't really care who lives or dies. <laughs> the show's writers really cemented Strand's status as a villain in this episode, and I'm praying that this isn't the last we see of Alex or Charlie. I would really like to see Charlie Alex back. I think that uh, I think she was cut loose a little soon. Pardon my pun. Uh, and I would like to see her uh, back on this show, well, if possible. They promised that one of the characters from Flight 462 would join the main show as a regular cast member. And I don't think, to be honest, that's going to be Jake. And I don't think they were talking about stripy shirt guy who was stuck oh, in the intake. Oh, he might be stuck in that out, uh, intake manifold. <laughs> I don't know why I want to keep saying that word. I don't but, know. Uh, uh, I think uh, maybe that uh, he, he's going to show up repeatedly. No, I don't think it's going to be him. It's if anybody, it's Charlie Alex and uh, or Alex Charlie. And but but man, you wouldn't think so with the way Strand just chopped that rope and left them behind. 
you know, what do we think is going to happen next week? Are is Maddie and Travis going to immediately sort of mutiny and take over the boat and turn it around and go pick them up again? Or, or is that really it? Is that, is that it? They're gone. They're floating. They're, they're dead. Uh, I, got, I got no idea. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I hope that they're not floating dead. I think that they're, uh, I think they should come back to the show. Yeah, I, I agree. So we'll have to find out what happens next week. Um, but I don't want to see, I don't want that to be the last of Alex either. I think she's good. And, and, to be honest, they promised. They promised that someone would join the cast, so they they, <laughs> they better make good on that. Well, yeah, because they've never lied to us before. No, God damn it. You always remind me of that, and it's so true. Yeah. All right, Rena on the internet writes, Is it just me, or do Nick and Alicia have inappropriate chemistry? I know they're supposed to be siblings, but they have more sexual chemistry than Nick and Ophelia. Kind of awkward. It's been like this since the beginning, too. I wonder how much of this is the actors digging on each other. Oh, no. That, do, would, that would be interesting. Do, do you think? I mean, that that can't be a thing. Like, two actors sort of get a crush on each other and it comes through in their characters? I don't know. I guess it could. It's possible, but they'd have to be bad actors. Right. And I don't think either of them are bad actors, actually. I've I've been really impressed with what Frank Delane and Alicia Debnam carry has been able to do on this show. So, I mean, Greg and, uh, the mother Brady on the Brady bunch, they were, uh, they were digging on each other throughout that, uh, a few seasons of that show. Really? And, uh, we never really noticed. See, you you don't even know about it now. Oh yeah. They were totally having an affair. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. See, but that's because I never watched the Brady. There's, bunch. there's all kinds of, uh, what about on Dexter, uh, Dexter and his sister, uh, oh yeah, they were Deb, real life. They married. were married for a while. Yeah, and you wouldn't they, know that by watching. No, the show. you wouldn't know that. So yeah, I mean it happens. Uh, but you know those actors are good actors, and you would never figure out that kind of stuff. But here, maybe, maybe they're digging on each other, and they just can't keep it in their pants. And it just shows up uh, <laughs> as a brother and sister, uh, overly affectionate thing. Well, it's. I honestly think it's been better in season two. It was really evident in season one that there was some weird relation, sexual tension between these two characters that were supposed to be brother and sister. I think it's been been better in season two, but I can see Rena's point. Like just the little hat thing where Nick finds the hat and then goes over and puts it on his sister's head and they have a little moment that uh, it's a little strange, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's going to go one of two ways. ways. Either they're going to like, you know, get together and it'll be really weird or they'll have to tone it down. <laughs> They're going to have to tone it down. I mean, they are I, I close. Think so, but, uh, you know, Jesus, take it easy. <laughs> this is a good point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Kenneth on the internet. Holy crap. Daniel is the worst chaperone ever. He lets the kids wander off, lets them waste time playing instead of finding stuff. And then he blows a good lead on the zombie horde while he wastes ammo shooting at them. Newsflash. There were a lot of Zeds. There were a lot more Zeds than he had bullets. What was he thinking? If he just followed the nice lady, they could have easily been out to sea before the zombies reached the beach. That's true. Oh. But uh, you got to remember, this is just the beginning of this zombie apocalypse. They don't know these things yet like we do. I know. They're just trying to figure them out right now. Now he has learned his lesson don't bother shooting at a horde of zombies because they get more more of them than there are bullets in your gut. Definitely, especially in this case. And don't waste a lead and get cornered on a friggin' cliff, you morons. 
Pretty much, yeah. Are, are you surprised that they all got away unscathed? No, not really. I mean, from a from a TV show perspective, I'm not too surprised. But from a trying to have a a little bit of realism, I mean, I am a little bit. Like, I'm sorry, but one of them would have, or or <laughs> in the real zombie apocalypse, they probably all would have gotten eaten. But here we go, and everybody is fine. So, yeah, I don't know. I kind of would have liked one of them to get killed. And if, if it had to be one of them, I wouldn't have been surprised to see Daniel go because right. that would have opened up a whole bunch of stuff for Ophelia dealing with that. Right. Um, but no, nope, everybody, everybody survived. But, uh, Ken's point is pretty, pretty good in that. Like, Jesus, just run, like run away. You have a good lead. Plus they're coming down the friggin' dunes of Tatooine. It looked like those zombies aren't going to go very fast in the, in the, <laughs> In the sand. I almost so you can't snow. run fast in the sand, that's for sure. No, you can't, but like I'm the sorry. zombies are going to fall down and trip over each other and stuff, but they didn't just seem to, to. Just to clarify, I can't run fast in the sand. Other people probably can. Well, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, that looked like pretty soft sand, though, and it's, it's tough to run fast in that stuff. Yeah. All right, Gemma in South Wales writes, I got to say, I love this episode of Fear. It was my favorite so far, and the action and pacing were great. I was literally on the edge of my seat. It's starting to feel like Walking Dead to me now. My holy crap moment was the crab walker. That was absolutely fantastic and something we've never seen before on The Walking Dead. The crabs were crawling out of a hole in his stomach, and he was eating them at the same time. It was awesome. Yeah, he was stuck in a crab hole, that guy. He was. Um, Those were real crabs, do you think, eh? Like that was, that was a, that was an extra buried in the sand and they poured crabs on them. I don't know. They looked, looked real to me. Well, do we, maybe we have to watch for the no crabs were harmed in the making of this production well, uh, message at the end of it. I don't think he actually ate one, like put it in his mouth and bit down. Cause I'm not sure you could do that. Crabs are pretty well, hard. He's, he's, he grabbed one and squished it. Yeah. <sighs> Um, no, I don't think they were real crabs. Really? I think they, would, they were. They would be worried about uh, accidentally hurting one. Dang. And then having to cook it for dinner. They're just crabs. <laughs> oh, that, you know, the people who monitor such things in television and movie productions don't care about whether they were just crabs. That's I true. Mean, you, know, you remember that movie Arachnophobia? Oh, yeah. So in arachnophobia, they uh, they had to go out of their ways not not out of their way not to kill any spiders. Oh, and they the, showed dead spiders, but they had to make a specific point that those spiders that they showed died of natural causes. They were already dead when we got here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so yeah, fine. Nobody likes spiders either. But uh, I was talking to a university professor I know one time years ago, and he was telling me about a study they did involving fruit flies. Yeah. I don't remember the details of the study, but not all the fruit flies would survive. And he said, that's okay. Cause no one gives a shit about fruit flies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> I guess not. No, they don't. I mean, but I suppose crabs are a little higher on the, on the food chain than fruit flies maybe. But, uh, I think there was, were at least some shots involving real crabs there and they were careful. And, you know, obviously that he didn't pick one up and squish it or put it in his mouth or anything like that. But, uh, I think it looked cool. And I think they, even if they weren't real, they looked real to me. Yeah, uh, they did. They did, did a good job. All right. Uh, Frank on the internet writes, isn't most diving gear bite proof for like sharks and such? 
Uh, for sharks, no. For humans, oh yeah. Yeah, you can't bite through a wetsuit. I can't. And if I can't, a zombie can't. No. Uh, you might give somebody a good bruise. Mm-hmm. But you, I don't think you'll be able to break the skin. No, but I'm pretty sure a shark can can bite through one. Oh yeah, they're not shark proof. No, you need a chainmail glove or chainmail uh, suit to prevent sharks from uh, breaking the skin. They will crush your bones. Mm-hmm. Like they have enough bite force to to crack bones and such, but they will. Their teeth won't puncture your skin, which is good. But I suppose if it crushes your leg, you're almost equally screwed. Yes and no. I mean, they won't take you if, well, they'll take you with them. Like mm-hmm. if a shark can get a hold of you that's, and they decide to go down deep, you're going to. Yeah. Like they're, like if you're not hanging on to something. Anyway, it, it helps with little sharks. Let's just say. <laughs> with little Chain baby sharks. It's like, ning, 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 ning. It's like, oh, that's cute. It's biting me. <laughs> Isn't that but hilarious? You get a great white shark, uh, you know, you could be wearing a truck. And that sucker's coming to bite through you. Those are big ass sharks. Yeah. Uh, Frank also says, holy shit, when did Nick change out of the oldie? <laughs> holy shit, when did Nick change out of oldie Olderson's jacket? <laughs> oh, yeah. Now he's got a pilot's uh, shirt that's all covered in gore that it refuses to take off. Well, he had a, uh, he had a, like a, a blue sort of polo shirt that I think even said Abigail on it. So he changed out of that. Um, Frank comes with its own swag? Yeah, it sounds like it. That's freaking awesome. If I was a rich guy and I owned a boat, I'd get t-shirts too. Boat swag. And I'd fill the the drawers with boat swag. Little hats. You'd have hats for sure. Shirts. And, uh, oh, they found a hat. Did you see the hat? Who had a hat? Nick Nick found a hat. It was was a a sun hat that he gave to his sister. But uh, I was like, okay, finally, people are getting hats so they don't get uh, kicked off the boat. Yeah, well, that was was the whole thing about them having a weird close relationship. He found the hat and playfully put it on her head and all that kind of thing. Well, it's a girl's hat. He wouldn't wear the hat. He was wearing the hat just for kicks and uh, shits and giggles until uh, his sister might actually like the hat. So he gave it to her. Yeah. You know, I, I could see Nick wearing a girl's hat. Hell I would in the zombie apocalypse. I burn like crazy. I need a hat on. Yeah. Um, Frank finishes with, I thought that was uh, regarding his jacket that he got rid of oldie Olderson's. He said, I thought that was going to be his crossbow for the series. <laughs> Oh yeah. His uh, jacket that he never gets rid of and he's not really him without it. Um, But the only thing I remembered here is that uh, they did make a crack about geriatric, geriatric chic in this episode when they're going to land. Ophelia is like, if you can find something that's not totally hideous, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and uh, Nick said he likes geriatric chic. So I'm pretty sure they wrote that in to appease everyone going, why doesn't that guy ever change out of the old man's clothes? That's awesome. (laughs) So it's good stuff. Um, Sean on the internet writes, shit, that jump scare got me on two levels. One, the obvious one. And two, how horrible it must have been to be there locked in a plane with the dead. Creepy as fuck. Yeah. When that guy opened his eyes, that was one of the better jump scares. Cause you think he's dead or you think he's a zombie, the sort of dormant. And then he opens his eyes and you don't know if he's a zombie, but then he's alive. It, it startled me. My wife, uh, Jenny, said when we were watching the episode, she said, how come that guy's just dead? And my first thought was, oh, he's not dead. <laughs> but then when he opened his eyes, he was actually alive, yeah. which surprised me. Which you weren't expecting. Exactly. I wasn't expecting him to be alive. I was expecting a jump scare. Right. Which you got. Which I got, but I was expecting a zombie jump scare. Right. And then it turned into one of the most horrific things we've ever seen. So yeah. good job, Fear the Walking Dead. Um, and when, hope I'm getting that right, from New Zealand writes, I'm finding it fascinating with Fear the Walking Dead that 
that we as viewers have become hardened and cynical through watching six years of the original show. For example, as soon as the characters saw the party raft survivors calling for help, I found myself saying emphatically, no, don't do it. And when Alicia started talking to the mystery radio guy, I almost shouted, no, don't trust him. Don't trust anyone. I am sure we would be as naive as they are at the beginning of the apocalypse experience. Uh, sorry, at the I'm sure we would be as naive as they are at the beginning of their apocalypse, apocalypse experience if we hadn't lived through the trauma alongside the characters of The Walking Dead. Oh, That's true. Finally got that out. Um, but this is, again, me. You know, you just got to remember that these people are new. They're, it's their first day, and they don't know what they're doing yet. No, they're, uh, they're brand new to this. So they're going to learn new things every week. I do kind of wish that they'd learn different things. Like I did think to myself, oh, look, the Gormaflage. We've known about that for six years. Like uh, did, they, did they have to show us sort of that on this show too? You know, couldn't they have? I up? liked it. I thought that was one of the highlights of the show. Yeah, but it's the same, right? It's like we already know that. And I, I know the characters don't know it, but why can't they just? not do that on this show. You know what I mean? Like they don't, maybe they come up with a different way to move amongst the zombies. I don't know if there is one, but do, do they have to do all the same things is what I'm getting at. I don't know. Well, I think that they'll find some different stuff to do, but I think they, it's also a, a nice nod to the original series that uh, we get the, uh, we get some of this stuff. Well, I guess so, but it's, it, this show runs concurrently with the original series. Do we really need to nod back to it uh, i don't know I, I don't mind it that much i do think this is it makes sense that they would discover this sort of thing and you get in a bad situation and then you know you find a way out and that's covering yourself in gore and walking amongst the zombies um but i do feel like we've seen it being there done that a little bit so right, right. you know not the end of the world uh all right uh, last three here are are just sort of for entertainment value <laughs> unlike everything else we do here I, i'm not <laughs> the sure rest, uh, the rest the rest was for uh monetary value no it wasn't that um but <laughs> but you'll see what i mean here sally on the internet writes i just have to say it holy crabs did you see that <laughs> <laughs> so awesome pretty good uh friend of the show adam writes boy you really have to hand it to travis he saved the day and got the boat running that's awesome <laughs> pull the hand out um which is funny because if you watch that scene maddie walks up to him and first thing she says is hey do you need a hand <laughs> actually said that and then he pulls a hand out of the system so nice good time catch that that's good it's good and finally jose in glendale california writes hi guys all i thought at the end was that alex and jake just got wait for it stranded oh oh <laughs> so nice. a few three really good puns to finish the episode there that's awesome <laughs> i like that that is amazing all right thank you so much to everyone who wrote in and uh if you want to send your correspondence to the show you can do so at talking at gmail.com we'll be back next week for episode number four of this show which is called blood in the streets so do you think this means they're going to get off the boat again and go into town and there'll be blood in the streets um 
that sounds reasonable. <laughs> it does. It sounds reasonable. I haven't seen any of the previews or read anything about next week's episode yet. So I have no idea what's to come, but that'll be next Sunday, of course. And we'll be back podcasting on Monday night about it. So uh, tune in for that. Thanks so much for everyone for listening. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting our website, talkingdeadpodcast.com and clicking on send voicemail to record a message. You can also email us at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Visit us on Twitter at Talking Dead or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead. So once again, Jason, happy anniversary. Thank you. You can now go and spend the rest of the evening with your wife, even though it's 11 p.m. She's asleep. I'll go upstairs and also be asleep. <laughs> In about 20 seconds, if I know you. It won't take long. Nope. Um, one more quick reminder. Uh, if you want to nominate us for a podcast award, visit podcastawards.com and uh, put in the Talking Dead in the TV and film category. You've got until April 30th at 11.59 p.m. to do that. We'd really appreciate it. It would be super fun to get nominated again, and uh, maybe this year we can bring home bring home an award. What do you think? I think that would be great. We can also bring home the bacon. Yeah, a little bit of, well, let's, let's aim for the bacon instead of the, the award. The bacon sounds good. I had bacon for supper. All right. <laughs> no bacon for me today. Maybe tomorrow. Oh. Uh, all right. Thanks so much, everybody. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao, ciao.